everyone. Welcome back to Murder, Lies and Everything in Between, a true crime podcast with me, Jess, and my husband, Eddie. Hi. Hope you're all doing well today. Um, we are, I currently have a pink gin and tonic sat next to me, so I am enjoying my Saturday night. You don't have anything to drink, Eddie. No. No. Why? You could have got a drink. I could have, but I couldn't be bothered. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, we're currently sat in a very hot living room. Um where we've turned the fan off so your mic doesn't pick it up. So hopefully um, we don't die of heat exhaustion in this room. Um, But while we stop moaning, we will carry on with the podcast today. So today we're going to be talking about a girl called Mary Vincent. Um, I'll start from the beginning of where it all kind of started and we'll go from there. So you ready, Atty? Yes. Okay, so... On a deserted dark highway in the middle of the night on the 29th of September 1978, a battered, bloodied and broken 15-year-old girl flagged passengers, passers-by. The trauma and barbarity Mary Vincent had suffered and endured during her attack is nothing short of nightmares. You haven't heard of this case, have you, babe? No. No. Um, you're probably glad that you haven't, to be honest with you. Um, so... Mary Vincent was the middle child of seven to mum Lucy and dad Herb. Lucy was a blackjack dealer and Herb was a machine mechanic in Las Vegas, where they lived. So he worked in the same um, like casino as she did, fixing right. machines. Um, her parents were really, really strict. And as a lot of teenagers kind of do, as we've all probably done, she rebelled, resisted the control. She kind of skived school, skipped skived whatever you kind of refer it to um she kind of partied all that kind of jazz so what a lot of kind of teenagers do yeah yeah if you've got strict kind of parents a lot of people tend to kind of rebel against that um her parents were going actually through a really fresh and quite vicious divorce at the time and as you can imagine kind of parents going through a vicious horrible divorce she got fed up with it and was like, yeah, I'm sick of this shit. I'm, I'm going, I'm doing one. And she kind of was like, yeah, I'm going away. And she ran away. So she was dating a lad at the time and she decided that she wanted to go and live with him. So she moved in with her boyfriend, stayed with him for a little bit. It was fine for a short period of time. But soon after that, he was accused of raping another girl. So as most people would do, they went, yeah, I'm not dealing with this. She kind of went, yeah, I'm out and left. So she didn't want to obviously deal with the fact that her boyfriend was apparently a rapist and she just kind of went, yeah, I'm out. So she decided to leave and she wanted to leave for the Bay Area. So like San Francisco kind of area. So um, hitchhiking was in the 70s and 80s, hitchhiking was like really common. It was a really, really common way of transport. So If you didn't have a car, which not a lot of people did at those times, you know, it was expensive at those times, um, people would hitchhike. Right. Not the safest means of transport, but, you know, it is what it is at the time. You know, as we kind of go on and we go through the cases, you'll see that um, a lot of serial killers managed to actually pick their victims from this, from hitchhikers. That's how a lot of these cases kind of started. Um, so she, she wanted to basically leave. So she hitchhiked to the Bay area. She slept rough for a little while, slept inside on lot cars, all that kind of stuff. Um, but she, it wasn't what she thought it was. So she kind of wasn't welcomed into any sections of kind of community in there. So she wasn't welcomed in with the hippies. She wasn't welcomed in with any community. So she kind of felt ostracized in the environment. A bit like an outsider. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was an outsider and she just wasn't really... It wasn't what she thought it was. She thought it was going to be something that it wasn't. So she decided that actually she just wanted to go back home. So she decided to leave the Bay Area and she decided she was going to hitchhike her way home. Okay? Right. So all the way from San Francisco, she was going to hitchhike her way all the way back to Nevada, Las Vegas. Okay? Okay. So as I've previously said, hitchhiking is really, really common in the 70s and 80s. So her route to hitchhike was she planned on taking the 80 to Sacramento, down the I-5 highway, so the Interstate 5 to LA, and then on to the Interstate 15 to Nevada, Nevada, Las Vegas. Okay, that was her route she was going to be hitchhiking. So she planned this all out on a map 
and that's the route she was going to be taken. So on the side of the road, um, Mary met two other hitchhikers, okay, struck up a conversation with them. I think it was a lad and a girl from what I can see, so a man and a woman. Um, they struck up a conversation and a kind of in conversation, they found out that they were both, they were all going in the same direction. So they decided, okay, well, we're going in the same direction, three safer than one on our own, 15-year-old girl, you've got to remember, and a couple. So they decided, all grouping together, we're going in the same direction, we'll all go together. So that's what they decided to do. While waiting on the side of the road, a blue van approached with 51-year-old Lawrence Singleton driving the vehicle on his own, just him. He said he only had space for one person. Right. He was driving a van. Like a transit-style van with space in the back, nothing in the back, and he only had space for one person. What would you think if <laughs> if if that scenario happened to you, if you were this person, what would you be thinking at that time? I don't know. I wouldn't be thinking of much. Thinking of much. <laughs> okay, so you wouldn't think it was weird that this blue van with plenty of spaces only accepting one 15-year-old girl and wouldn't take the other two adults. Yeah, it's in the back though, this transit van. No, it was just a transit van. Well, you're not legally, you're not allowed to have people sitting that's, in the back That's of a now van, in though. the UK, different laws back then. It was well, the 70s. Maybe if you think about health and safety first. I don't think that was the case at all. I, I don't think health and safety was... He, I don't think he gave a shit about health and safety, if I'm honest with you. Okay, so... After he'd kind of said this, she went over back over to the other hitchhikers and said to them, look, this is the scenario. He said that he can only take me. Not just one person, he could only take her. Not one of them, he could only take her. Right. Okay? Underage girl. Um, they said they were obviously getting fat, bad vibes off him, but she was desperate to get home. So she was like, do you know what? I can handle myself. I've got all the way here. He seemed like a grandfatherly kind of type of person, so I can handle myself. I'm going to go. Okay, so she decided that she was just going to get in the van with them. So he said he could take her all the way to LA. So she was like, amazing, great. I can get all the way back to LA, amazing. And then I can make my way down to Las Vegas. So she accepted the ride, amazing. Something she'd later come to regret, though. Okay, he wasn't a kind, helpful man, but an evil, sadistic man who actually had completely different plans for her. So he said to her first, look, I can take you to Las Vegas. I can take you to L.A., but I've got to stop off at my house first because I need to pick some stuff up. Okay, so she was like, yeah, okay, she's getting a free lift because she can't deny that. She can't say, oh, no, no, you can't go back to your house. So that's exactly what happened. So she went to the house, he did what he had to do, and then they got on the road. No problems at all. Nothing kind of happened at that scenario. So at this point, they started driving on the Interstate 5 highway. Um, Mary, tired, obviously, you know, she'd been hitchhiking, she'd been sleeping rough. She was finally supposed to be going home, and she was tired, so she fell asleep in the van, okay? A little while later, something woke her up call it instincts or something else. I don't know what, but she woke up as she noticed that they weren't driving in the right direction. He'd missed in it's like interstate five highway turnoff. So he'd missed the turnoff to go to LA. Yeah. He was driving in the complete opposite direction to where he should have been going. Obviously scared at this point, why were they going in the wrong direction? And she was obviously pissed off at this point. She snapped at him and said, you're going the wrong way. You know, you're going the wrong way. So she managed to find like a stick at the side of side of her in the van and she threatened him with it. And she said, turn around, turn around and take her where he promised to take her. So he acted as though it was an innocent accident, saying he was an honest man and he made a genuine mistake. He turned off to take the net, the right route to L.A. So he turned back around and t- took the right route. OK, Mary was like really proud of herself, standing up for herself. And so she should have been, you know, she stood up to a man that was clearly trying to take advantage of the situation. And, you know, she'd put him, she'd put him back to where he should have been kind of thing. So as the journey continued, the atmosphere started to change. You know what it's like, babe. If you've, if you kind of had an argument with someone or if something's kind of happened, 
you know, you can you can tell if it's a stress situation, you can cut the atmosphere with a knife yeah, kind of thing. It's awkward. Yeah, and I think that's that was kind of the gist I got from everything that I've read, is that the atmosphere is kind of turning and not in a kind of good way. So Lawrence, he was obviously visibly starting to get angrier and angrier as kind of the time went on. So America sense something was off with the situation. So she started to get prepared mentally. In a lot of the things that I've read and in interviews, she said that she kind of, she was making this tick list thinking, okay, what do I need to do if he's going to do this to me? What do I need to do? I need to be prepared to run. You know, I'm 15 year old girl. I'm strong. I'm fast. I can run quicker than a 51 year old overweight man. Right. This is what she was thinking yeah, to course. herself, which yeah, she would have been able to. So in this situation, she was getting kind of prepared and Lawrence all of a sudden told Mary that he needed to pull over to take a toilet break. So he said, I need to pull over and take a piss. Lawrence got out, he disappeared off, okay? And she got out the vehicle to go and stretch her legs. She noticed that her shoelaces were untied. So she thought to herself, which a lot of people would do, okay, well, if I need to make a run for it, I need to have my shoelaces tied up to so I don't trip over and hurt myself kind of thing or so I can run away from him. As she bent over, she felt a massive blow to the back of the head. Unbeknownst to her, he had snuck up behind her and hit her over the head with a sledgehammer. Twatted her over the head with a sledgehammer and knocked her out. Cold. He dragged her into the back of his van, stripped her naked, tied her up and raped her. 51-year-old man, 15-year-old girl. I'm surprised a 51-year-old man can sneak up behind her. Yeah, it's surprising, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but he did. He, I mean, she was clearly just, you know, wanted to tie her. So she was focusing on what she was doing. She didn't think that this guy was going to come up behind her and smack her over the head with a sledgehammer. Um, Mary begged for him. She obviously woke up. Mary begged for him to let her go. He didn't care. He wanted something off her. He didn't give a shit about what she wanted. So she just kept saying, please, begging him, please let me go. Please let me go. Once he'd done what he wanted to, he got back into the van with Mary still tied up in the back. So he tied her up. From what I saw, he tied her arms up to either side of the van so she couldn't move. She Her arms were tied to either side so she literally couldn't move at all. Right. Okay, And that's how he kind of raped her and stuff. So he drove her to a canyon where he got back into the back of the van with Mary, raped her, sodomized her you know what sodomized is don't you no you don't know what sodomized no. is um, big fancy words he raped her with an object right okay okay um and throughout the night and into the morning that's what he did right. he raped her and sodomized her throughout the entire night yeah she again begged him to set her free throughout the whole night she just kept saying please let me go please let me go i won't say anything please let me go he then forced her to drink a liquid that would make her pass out. Okay. This turned out to be alcohol. So what? it was like massive jugs of alcohol okay. and he'd forced it down to her neck to make basically make her pass out. When Mary woke up, she was being dragged away from the back of the van. Lawrence cut her hands, the rope, cut her, cut the rope from around her hands, but he was armed with a blunt hatchet. He said to her, if you want to be set free, I will set you free. He began to hack at Mary's left forearm with the hatchet. She tried fighting him off, kicking him, punching him. At this point, she realised she was still holding on to his arm, but she was lying on the ground. Three blows it took him to remove her arm hacked her arm three times and cut her arm off. Yeah. Mary's arm still had a grip on his arm and he was shaking it, trying to get this arm off because she still, her muscles were so tense, he couldn't get... So the arm that's been... Severed. Severed, yeah. It's still attached to him. Yeah. That is brutal. It's brutal, isn't yeah. it? He wasn't done yet. He wasn't done yet. After he shook it off, he then moved on to her right arm. Hacked at that five times until it was severed 
And she was conscious during all of this. She was completely awake, screaming in fucking agony. She was awake during all of this. So she, this poor girl had suffered being raped, sodomized, forced to drink alcohol, beaten. And now both of her, her forearms had been cut off. She was still awake, still fighting. Yeah. Once he'd done all this, he said, you wanted to be set free. Now you're free. Of her arms? Yeah, of her arms. Yeah, I know. So after he was done, he thought she was dead. So he decided to throw her over a 30-foot canyon cliff edge. 30-foot canyon. He climbed down and then got her body and stuffed it into a drainage culvert. So a drainage culvert is basically this big tubular thing that's dug into the ground. So it's inside the cliff wall or ground, underground, and it's basically like a big drain. Right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. They're on, um, oh, what's it called? What's the movie called? They're on um, the one with the clown. It. It, yeah. They're on it. You know that thing they go under? Oh, yeah, it's like the drainage system. Yes, it's like that. Yeah, it's like that. So when he was done doing all this, stuffing her, what he thought was her dead body, into this drainage culvert, he climbed back up and drove off. Right, okay. He just thought she was dead. Yeah. Mary obviously thought she was dying at this point, and she heard an internal voice saying, I can't go to sleep. He's going to do this to somebody else. I can't let this happen. I need to get out of this situation alive to tell somebody who this person was that did this to me. She crawled out of the culvert with no fucking arms. She got stumps. Literally stumps. That's not the worst of it. She crawled out of the culvert. She stocked her stumps into the mud and the earth, stuck him in there to try and stem the bleeding and to slow the bleeding down. Then she began to climb up a 30-foot fucking cliff with stumps. She dedicated, obviously. Took her all night. Right. Took her all night. Would do with no arms, wouldn't it? Exactly. So she had stumps, she was raped, she was beaten, she was bleeding, and she was half dead, and she... Crawled and she's naked still and naked. She crawled up a 30 foot canyon cliff and no one else was around. No, no one else drove past this canyon, or was it? This is the middle of nowhere, right? It's the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like a popular tourist Mm. visit site or anything. No, no, you got to remember a lot of these roads, um, a lot of these these interstates and stuff, they're quiet. I mean, we we relate it back to like the UK, the UK roads are so. They're small compared to what American yeah, highways yeah. and stuff are. And our roads, you know, we know we drive early hours of the morning and the roads, you'll still see people. You wouldn't be able to get away with that kind of thing here yeah. because there's too much traffic. But there, I mean, you can go hours without seeing anybody on the side of the road, like hours and hours and hours, and it's you, it wouldn't be an issue. So, as I said, it took hours to climb to the top. So, as I said, by this time, it was nighttime again. When she got to the top, she walked naked for three miles, following the sound of what she thought was passing traffic, hoping that she could flag down a car to help her. Three fucking miles with stumps, like you just bleeding, literally bleeding, waving her arms around high above her so the muscles wouldn't fall out of her fucking arms. And this is what she said. Like it's, it's just fucking awful. You couldn't even imagine it. After a while, a convertible came speeding towards her. But instead of slowing down, it just drove past her. Like she was nothing. Didn't help her. Yeah. She did say, though, that she, lo- she looked frightening. She said she looked absolutely terrifying. And she, she didn't blame them for stopping. She said she can understand why they didn't stop. She said because she must have looked like a fucking nutcase, yeah. you know. Naked, 15-year-old girl, two stumps, you know, like, she must have looked terrifying to these people. So, but what the sad, what the worst sad thing about it is she blamed herself for not smiling and not looking more happier that they would be able to help her. That's what she said. I don't think anyone would be smiling when you're hot, when you're full naked, stumps, you know, just being molested. Yeah. 
you know, thrown down a canyon. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I don't think you'd be smiling, would you? What is there to really smile about? 100% exactly. You know? It's mad, isn't oh, it? You know, I'll be all right. I'll just carry on. Tomorrow will be a new day. Yeah. Know? But this is what she thought. She blamed herself for not smiling. Right. So eventually another car came along, though, with a couple inside of it who were on their honeymoon. The funny thing is, is that this couple shouldn't have even been there. They'd actually took the wrong wrong route. It was sheer fluke that they were even there. They shouldn't have been there. They scooped her up. Well, he scooped her up, kind of covered her up, put her into the back of his truck and sped off to the nearest airport to call for an ambulance. Don't forget, it's 1978. There's no mobile phones. Mm -hmm. You're on an interstate. There's no... There's no, like, phones that you can stop, like, any telephones or anything that you can stop by public phones. So they had to drive to the nearest place, which happened to be an airport at this time. So they obviously called an ambulance. Um, The attack was reported to the police, and she managed to remember it in so much detail that the sketch artist managed to make such a good resemblance that it looked remarkably like Singleton. Like... I will post the pictures on our Instagram, and it's frightening how scary they look like. They look like the same person. It's amazing. You know what they're like. Normally, these e-fits and stuff, they look nothing like the person that they actually are. This looks remarkably like the person. When the sketch was actually released, because of Mary's incredible recollection, a neighbour of his actually reported that he knew who the man was and where they could find him. As I said, I'll post this this sketch on Instagram and you'll see I've put a picture next to him of him actually in reality right. when he was arrested. And you've got the sketch and the picture. Yeah, so next to each other right, and you'll okay. be able to see both of them together. And you you can see when you look and you think, oh, fuck, you know, that was a good sketch. That sketch artist earned their money. When the authorities arrested Singleton, Mary testified against him. Singleton insisted Mary was a sex worker and denied he had committed any crimes. He maintained someone else had been in the car and Mary had threatened him with false accusations. Singleton even called her a $10 a night whore. He said that the other two hitchhikers were the ones that attacked her and Mary had tried to rob him. This is what he was saying had happened. So he he's saying he hadn't done any of it. She tried to rob him and she was a $10 a night whore. Did he admit that he actually slept with her? No. But his DNA would have been on all over her body in the back of his van and everything. This is all the stuff that they found out afterwards, right. obviously. Okay. So I won't go too much into... Um, I'm not really going to go too much into the evidence and stuff like that because it was a fact. This is what he did. Yeah. It was a fact. Yeah. This is exactly what happened. And when we go over what happened after this, you'll see exactly what kind of person he is and it won't even you won't even question it being, did it happen, did it not happen? So when Mary was leaving the courtroom, she had to walk past Singleton just because of how the room was kind of laid out. He leaned into her and said, I will finish the job even if it takes me till the rest of my life. And she's walking out of the fucking courtroom with prosthetic arms on that he'd cut off. Yeah. Despite being convicted of attempted murder, kidnapping, rape, sodomy, Forced oral copulation, you know what that is, don't you? Yeah. And aggravated mayhem, he was sentenced to only 14 years in prison. That was, at the time, the maximum sentence California had, and that's the only thing they could offer at the time. Mm. Across the state, from the public to those who were actively working on the case, people were absolutely outraged and the judge himself expressed his desire to send Singleton to prison for the rest of his natural life. But he could only sentence him to 14 years. So didn't they have the death penalty back in them days? Then? It was attempted murder, it wasn't murder. So what a lot of people argued was that if she'd have died, he would have got more. Right, okay. What, more years or actually more the years. Death, death penalty? More years. Uh, the death penalty is a funny thing because... It depends. If people admit to it, a lot of the time they they admit to it so they can get out of the death penalty, so they'll just spend the rest of their life in prison. Right, okay. 14 years. It's not that long, is it, for what he did? What, he was in his, do you say he was in his 50s? He was 51. 50, 51? Yeah. So he's out, he's out at 65? Yeah. 
Oh, it gets worse. He didn't get out when he was 65. I'll, t- I'll tell you the right, year. I'll okay. tell you. But technically, he would have got out at 65. If he'd have done, four, if, if he'd have done that, that period of time, yeah. If he'd yeah, done of course, 14 yeah. 14 years, years, yeah. Of course, yeah. If he would have got out at 65. Yeah. So, this is where it kind of all went from there. There was so much outrage at this sentence because of what he'd done to this poor girl. So, this resulted in a change in legislation, actually. And this was supported by Mero. It This prevents the early release of offenders who have committed a crime in which torture is used. Right. So in 1987, Singleton's parole led to the passage of California's Singleton Bill. That's what it was called, the Singleton's Bill, which carried a 25 years to life sentence. So if you were convicted of... Um, if you were convicted of a crime in which torture was used, you can you can be sentenced to twenty five years to life. Right. Okay. That still goes on now. I still hear of cases now where that that is used because of this case. Right. Okay. So what, basically, if 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 it's attempted murder, it doesn't matter if you haven't killed them now. If it's attempted murder and you tortured them and they didn't die, you 25. could still get that in California. That's twenty five years to life. Twenty five years to life. Yeah. Um. So. He, um, his parole was just a fucking joke. His parole was an absolute fucking joke. Um, he filed a complaint suing Mary Vincent for forcible kidnap for the pur- for her purposes of robbery. So he was trying to accuse her of kidnapping him and robbing him. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a certain kind of fucking person, doesn't it? Yeah. Singleton said he felt sorry for Mary Vincent, claiming he'd almost vomited three times and could not sleep for several nights after the filing. The suit never gained traction, thank God for that, and the courts dismissed the case. So they didn't pay attention to it, basically? No, they basically said, you're an absolute wanker, we're not doing this. You're an absolute dickhead, we're not dealing with this shit, you're a moron kind of thing. Okay, so... Outrage surrounding his sentence would rise again while Singleton was paroled after serving only eight years and three months due to good behaviour and a prison programme that allowed inmates to work off time on their sentence. So he served eight years out of 14 yep. after doing what he did yeah. to that young girl. Yeah. The system's messed up, in it? It's totally <laughs> messed up. You just can't... Eight years. Eight years. And now he's walking the streets. He did walk the streets, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just wrong. But I'm, we'll go on what happens after that and you'll see. I mean, the, the country did not take kindly to what had happened. This was a highly publicised case. And, you know, a 15-year-old girl having all this shit done to her the the country didn't take kindly to it and we'll go on to what the country did to kind of punish him back. Okay? This is after when he was released after eight years. This was at, on his parole. Right. Okay. So everyone knew about it. So everyone knew about it then. Yeah, everyone knew about it. Yeah, every everyone knew about it. You gotta remember it was a highly publicized case. So everybody knew about what was going on. Right. Okay. And kind of about the parole and all that kind of jazz. So, while the state's parole board and its lords had deemed the convicted rapist and attempted murderer ready to re-enter society, the entirety of California objected to the idea of Singleton living in their state. So, whole counties, or what they say is states, so whole states temporarily placed restraining orders on him. So, they were like, yeah, we don't want this douche canoe in our state. So we ain't having a meal. <laughs> but he had to be paroled somewhere. Right. And where he was paroled, he had to stay until the end of his parole. Yeah, of course. Because that's how parole works, as you know. So once this one city's petition to have him banned received over 10,000 signatures. On several occasions, Singleton had to be escorted by police out of what was to be his permanent residence, rushing past hundreds of protesters screaming waving signs. At this point, a trailer, so a a mobile home, was put onto the ground of San Quentin Prison for him to live in until the end of his parole in 1988. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the woman, we don't want this prick here. So do you know what? We've got no choice because we've got to parole him somewhere. So what we're going to do is we're just going to stick a mobile home on the grounds of the prison and he can live there till his parole ends. Could he come and go as you please, though? Yes, because he was officially free. Um, but he said he only left to go to the movies and to go shopping. <laughs> he he didn't leave have, a lot. <laughs> he must have been hated when he went shopping. Oh, yeah, yeah. People must have looked at him and gone, what? Oh, everyone hated him. Yeah, everyone hated him. It was highly publicised. Everyone knew about this. Right. You know, he couldn't get away from it, really. So after his parole ended, he moved back to Florida, where he was originally from. Um, but in 1990, so only two years after his, he was paroled, he was arrested for petty theft. Okay. He was sentenced to two years, but again, got off light and only served the two years. So on February on February 19th, 1997, so he's a free man at the moment, yeah? On February 19th, 1997, so seven years after this petty theft thing. Right, okay. Yeah? And nearly 20 years after his attack on Mary Vincent. Right. Singleton paid a lady called Roxanne Hayes for her services as a sex worker. Okay. He took her to his home and he attacked her. The painter who he had hired, he'd hired to paint his, his I think it was like his fence or something. Um, he called the police because he heard loud screaming and banging coming from inside the property. When the police arrived, they found Singleton naked, covered in Hayes's blood and her body was lying on the floor in the living room. Singleton had stabbed the mother of three in torso multiple times until she died. It's fucked up, isn't it? That's just sick, isn't it? So he'd done this to Mary Vincent, and now the bell end had gone on, and nearly 20 years after, gone and killed another fucking woman, this time a mother of three. So he'd, he'd done what he set out to do. He meant to kill Mary, and now he'd killed this poor lady, Roxanne Hayes. Yeah. Just going out to do a fucking job. It's mad, isn't it? I can see your face contemplating what the fuck have I just heard. It makes you think of what goes through people's minds, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you come out of prison after eight years, you know, stuff serving 14, getting away with doing whatever you want, basically, and then, yeah. do, and then doing it again. And it's like, I take it he did that in his hometown, Florida. In Florida, yeah. Yeah. People knew him in the area. People knew who he was and what he'd done. Yeah. It wasn't hidden. Yeah. I know. I can tell by your face you're just in complete shock. So after just four hours, obviously he was convicted of this. He was caught red-handed, literally red-handed. Um, just after four hours of deliberation, he was sentenced to death. Oh, so they gave him the chair this time, did they? they? Get, well, or the death penalty. They gave him the death penalty. Yeah, good. Okay. However, on December the 28th, 2001, this dickhead died at the age of 74 of cancer while on death row. Oh, so he died of cancer? Died so of cancer. So he didn't in actually him. make it to the no, electric chair or whatever. They rarely do. They rarely do. Most of them, death sentences are a funny thing because majority of the time, these people aren't ever sentenced to death. Not many people are actually actually sentenced to death. A lot of these people spend 15, 20, 25 years on death row, which, funnily enough, on death row, they don't actually call it death row. So I watched this documentary once, and it said that on death row, they don't call it death row, and like um, the like inmates and the prison staff don't call it death row. They call it... Um, I think they call it like row X or something. Right, okay. They don't call it death row or they call it like X row or something like that. They don't call it death row. Apparently it's something to do with the your psychological thing. Apparently it can do a lot of damaging things to you if they call it death row. Right, okay. So it can put people basically in like a really negative mindset when they're on death row. Okay, so the week after Singleton was found guilty, Mary sat in front of him in a court for 10 minutes and gave her accounts that everything he had put her through. She pointed her arm at him with her prosthetics. She pointed at him 
and just fucking let him have it pretty much. After Mary's attack, she'd already, already kind of had strained relationships with her parents, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that kind of only got worse. So she left, obviously, she moved away from them. This is when this had all happened. And when she went back to them, um, they just, in her words, they were more interested in what they felt had happened to them, not how she had felt. Um, Her dad started collecting guns and plotting ways to kill Singleton. I think most dads would do something like that, though, to be honest, wouldn't they? If that was to happen to their daughter. He wouldn't be getting out the first time. No, he wouldn't be, would he? If I had a daughter. Yep. Just wouldn't happen, would it? So obviously Mary wasn't happy. Um, Mary wasn't happy, so she left again. And she tried to find somewhere to be happy. She found a small town in Washington where she got married. She became a mum. And then Singleton was released from prison. Then from parole and all that kind of stuff. So this is so after all this had happened, she'd kind of tried to move on and everything. She moved to a small town, all that kind of stuff. And then... This is when he was paroled from eight years. Right, okay, so his yeah. first sentence, yeah. So yeah. I'm kind of going back a little bit. So he was released from prison on parole. Obviously, Mary hadn't forgotten the promise that he'd made to her that he would finish the job that he started. Um, and that's the that's the day he kind of decided to end her life. Her fear heightened when Singleton said he planned to spend his first days of freedom visiting the state Mary was known to be living in. So he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be visiting this state knowing that she lived there. She must have been scared, do you know what I mean, too? She was terrified, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think anyone would, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you would have been threatened, yeah. um, you'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know? Well, Mary moved her family around out of fear that he would he would come back and find her. Yeah. What else could you do? Like, do you know what I mean? If, yeah. If one day, do you know what I mean, someone knocks at your door, or if anyone knocks at your door, you're like, could, it, could this be the day? Could that be him? Mm-hmm. You know, that could have been a massive mind fuck, wouldn't it? Yeah. It, well, it was. This was the thing. It ruined her. Exactly. It absolutely ruined her. And I'm not going to go back to Singleton because he doesn't deserve that much acknowledgement. No. Um, so the rest of this is basically going to be about her. Um, his daughter, though, did beg the parole board. So Singleton had a daughter, but he was estranged from them. Um, he actually begged the parole board not to let him go. She was terrified that he would come for her next. That was his daughter. His own daughter. His own daughter. She was terrified that he'd come and find her after he was paroled and kill her. Says it, says it all though, doesn't it? Yep. They told her to get a restraining order. So she said, she was like, what, so basically you want me to get a restraining order to give him my fucking new name? Because she changed her name yeah. to get away from him. You want me to t- to give him the information because this would all be provided to him. He would be provided of where he's got to stay away from and what her name is. So she changed her name, changed her address and everything. And they, she basically said, so you want me to tell him where I'm living, tell him where I'm living, the location I'm living, and my new fucking name that I've changed. She was like, yeah, now nah, I'm not doing that. So she refused. She was like, no, I'm not doing that. This is for a piece of paper where a restraining order is going to stop. A super, well, I say serial killer, like, you know, someone like that yep. coming, coming to you. Sorry, you can't go X amount of metres or yards or whatever to this person. Is if that's going to stop them? A piece it's of paper. It, it ain't going to stop them here. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not at all. It was the biggest load. Of, but I mean, I get that they can't really do a lot. And I get that, you know, there's only so much in their control and their power. But come on. Like, this is his own daughter. She's terrified of him. And, you know, she hasn't seen this man for years and years and years, and she's absolutely terrified of this guy. It's just, yeah, it's just madness, isn't it? Um, Mary obviously was reliant on, so this is more This is more about what happened with Mary afterwards. So Mary kind of struggled. She struggles to this day kind of thing. I don't blame her. No, she went through a lot. I think, From what I read, I think her and her husband got divorced. Um, she kind of... She really struggled, you know. She, I'll go into it in a minute, but like she, she didn't have a lot of money coming in, you know. She couldn't really work, you know. She was terrified all the time. She obviously had PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, she would have depression, anxiety. That's something you have depression, anxiety about. Hundred percent. So yeah. If you knew your killer was out there and he's threatening to come for. 
obviously not so bad now because obviously the man's dead, but still. You're still living with that trauma, though, of what oh, happened yeah, of to course, you. Yeah. You'd be terrified to do anything or... Oh, you wouldn't want to leave your house, would you? No, you do wouldn't. You know what I mean? Or if, if there was a knock at the door or a sound mm. in your back garden late at night, you're thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. Who, who's out there? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, as you know, minds can play tricks on you. Yeah. You know, and... Oh. It's, yeah, I it's... think anyone would be hate to be in that situation. I would get myself tooled up. Yeah, I know oh, you would. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever the gun laws over there are, I'd be literally. I'm telling you. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have better gun laws. Well, it depends how you feel about gun laws, really. Yeah. yeah, gun laws are a funny thing, aren't they? It depends how you really feel though about gun laws. I mean, they're different here to what they are in the U- in America. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But we're talking about obviously big her being obviously in America, um, where obviously known to obviously you're allowed to carry far or not carry far and or have firearms for yeah. reason. Like I said, if I knew he was out after eight years and he was coming for me, I'd be getting ready ready for him. And you come in that house or you go in my house, you ain't leaving ever again. I'll make sure <laughs> I, you know I mean? I'll go do some time in prison. Yeah. You know I, mean? I so. think a lot of people would if that happens to them. Oh, I think, well, you have every right to defend yourself, don't you? Yeah. You know, if someone breaks you into your house, I know their law is a bit different between ours and theirs. Um, but if someone comes into your house, you are going to do everything to protect yourself, aren't you? Especially yeah. after what's already happened to you. Definitely. You, know, you ain't going to let it ever happen, happen again, are you? No. You know? No, definitely not. I mean, Mary was, after all of this, she went through so much. I mean, she clearly had PTSD. I mean, I'm no mental health worker, but she clearly was suffering like a PTSD scenario. And, oh, you yeah. Know, yeah I, I couldn't find anything if she received any counselling or anything, but I'm sure she must have been offered it. Um, but she was kind of reliant on disability checks. She couldn't even, when she repl- when she outgrew her prosthetics, she couldn't even afford to have them replaced. Because prosthetics are thousands and thousands and thousands. They're so expensive. Um, but she actually um, she actually started using bits from, like, broken radios and refrigerators to, like, make them function the way she needed. She'd become, like, a bit of DIY with it, you know. She, well, she learned. Well, you have to if you can't afford to, obviously... You know, you've got to learn how to fix yourself, can't you? Because you've got to save you a couple of quid here and there. Yeah, like we've said in the past, you know, that if you can't afford to do it yourself, if you can't afford to go and buy it, get someone to do it for you or you can't afford to buy it, you'll learn how to make it, won't you, for oh, a yeah, fraction of the price. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. Time, times have changed now. You can obviously Google things and YouTube things now, can't you? And yeah. you can self-talk yourself, really, yeah. can't you, to do yeah. a lot of things, you know? Yeah, you I know can. some things you have to pay professional people to go and do it but you know if you know how you can just youtube it like we have most times to fix things and things like that yeah you know it does help that you are super super handy and you learn how to do everything (laughs) if if you don't know how to do it you will make sure you learn how to do it so you never don't know how to do it again (laughs) too cheap to go pay for someone to do it that's why (laughs) i think it's it's yeah a lot of the time it's easier to kind of do it yourself isn't it you're having to wait for someone else rely on someone else to do it and that's the thing it's the, it's the waiting around finding someone paying the cost you know for someone to do it where it could just be a five minute job yeah and you can just do it do it yourself yeah you know? no definitely well i mean after all this kind of happened so after you know she she learned to kind of do her own kind of fix up her own prosthetics uh she actually became a talented artist um, so she started doing like artwork and stuff, um, and that was depicting powerful, strong women as action figures. So probably something we would actually quite like. Um, so she, she, so she got basically powerful, strong women, and they would, they she would kind of make them into action figures and all that kind of stuff. And but she, she couldn't dance the way she used to. So when she was younger, she used to dance, and she was actually really, really good at dancing. Um, and if this hadn't happened to her. God knows that's probably where she would have ended up most likely because from what I've saw she's she was really good um but as of 2009 she'd said in multiple interviews over the year that she just wants to be left alone she just wants to live a life she wants nothing more to do with it and there's not really anything more after that you know she just wants to live her own life for can't says a blamer you yeah. know she's been through such traumatic time in the last like 20 odd years and the poor woman just wants to live a fucking life, you know, she just, just leave get, her alone. She just wants to get on with it like like I know I suppose anyone else would. You know, she's had, you know, 
10 plus years of, of hell, maybe even, yeah. like, even longer, you know, or people talking about it all the time and things yeah. like that and bringing it back up. And this says us talking about it. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, now, now she just wants to get on with it. It's, yeah, it's all in the past, he's gone. Yeah. I want to move on with my life now. She just want to yeah. give the time of day to him no more. And I don't really blame him. I don't think anyone would, you know? I think a lot of people would feel the same. I think a lot of people would, if that would have happened to someone we know or us, you know, I think we'd all probably feel that way. We wouldn't want to give this guy any more breath yeah. than he already took from exactly. us. Exactly. So he took years off her, years, centuries, mm. whatever. Um, and now she just wants to get on with, with the rest of her life, and, yeah. you know, and, and make good what she's got at the end of the day, you know? Be, yeah. You know, she's probably, had, she's probably got it hard at the moment with only two arms, well, no arms, sorry. Yeah. Um, so. Hopefully, you know, she, hopefully she's she's in a better position now. I mean, we're talking like, what, 13 years ago? 13 years ago, she said that in the last interview in 2009 that she mm. didn't want anything to do. She wanted to just be left alone. So, you know, maybe she's she's done really, really well with her artwork. And, you know, hopefully she's got some money behind her. And, you know, hopefully someone maybe's helped her with the cost of prosthetics and maybe someone's someone with some money has kind of helped her and generously donated to her to help her kind of live the life she should be living. Um, but... You know that she just wants to be left alone now, and as I said, I can't really say I blame her from everything she's been through. Um, yeah. So, what well, do you what do you think about that case, Bobe? That's fucked up. In it, just. Do you know what I mean, it, it is messed up. But you got a lot of sick people out there. Um, Brings to light just how many sick people there are. Yeah, and you know, it's definitely an eye opener. You know. You, you can't trust people. You can't trust everyone. No. You know, and things like that. And Even someone you think is a generous, kind, grandfatherly kind of person yeah. giving you a ride. Well, she won't be making that mistake again. Do you know what I mean? No. So um, I wish you all the best of luck, you know, um, and that's it. Mm. it was, I mean, as we kind of go through more cases, as I've said in previous episodes, as we kind of go through more cases, you'll see that hitchhiking comes up a lot. A lot in the 70s and 80s cases because it was such a popular way of transport in those days. Um, there's specific ones like um, Edmund Kemper, those kind of things. Um, you don't know, you've never heard of those ones. No, no. They're like big pinnacles in the true crime industry and in the true crime kind of genre. Majority of people know about those kind of people, along with like Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy. You've, I know you've heard of Ted Bundy. Yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. Um, along with all those kind of other people, a lot of these people, as I said, a lot of these cases from the 70s and 80s, most of them surround hitchhiking. And this is where most people, either hitchhiking or sex work, because that's how a lot of these people found their victims. And I actually saw something today on this um, this serial killer world crime, crime group thing I'm on. And it actually said that, you know, are we, these days, are we... Are we having less serial killers in the world or are they just better at hiding it? Because in the 70s and 80s, there was hundreds of them, babe. They were like, in a lot of cases, there was two people in one state, a serial killer at a time. I mean, it's craziness that all these people existed in these times, but... As I said, like DNA and stuff like that wasn't a big thing back then. You know, DNA did it existed, but they didn't know they could they didn't they didn't have the technology to be able to actually Compared test to what these we've things. Got now, yeah, yeah. Like, so the technology has come a long way to test DNAs and things like that. Yeah. So what I think, like what a lot of people had commented on it was that, you know, some people had said that I don't think there's as many serial killers anymore. My point of view on it is that. I think that a lot of these people that kill one person or kill two people, they all had the ability to be a serial killer, to be a renowned serial killer, but they're caught so quickly, they don't have that time to escalate into a serial killer. Yeah. In the 70s and 80s, they had the time to escalate because the DNA wasn't there, you know, the technology wasn't there. So they didn't have the, t they had this time to escalate to be able to go two, three, sometimes 15 years without being caught. Yeah, of course. 
I mean, there's some some serial killers now that like have just been found out, and like um, oh, was it Michael D'Angelo? I think his name was. All these people that have just been caught through DNA, and like a lot of people have been caught through like um, ancestry DNA and stuff like that. So yeah. they're all being found out now. Some people 20, 30, 40, 50 years after they did these crimes. So it would be interesting to know that in a lot of these old cases where, say, DNA wasn't collected, where kind of the police fucked up and they dropped the ball, would if they collected this DNA, would they now be able to test it and would they be able to actually get the serial killer? Um, I mean, you look at, um, what was the name of it? The um, the serial killer where they had the like hieroglyphics and they left all those um, puzzles and stuff like that. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but, you know, they he killed loads and loads and loads of people and now they've just deciphered what, those like what those letters said and what they meant right. like people i think in, in like a university they deciphered it all what it said um but that person we say it's a man it's most likely a man um he killed loads of people and he was never found like he was never actually found so if they'd have had this dna and stuff like that then would they have found them you never know though innit? No, I don't. I don't think there's as many serial killers now. Like I said, I don't think there's as many serial killers now, just because I think they get caught before they get time to escalate. Yeah. So I think there's just as many people that have the ability to be able to be a serial killer. Either they've got way better at hiding it, or they get caught before they escalate. What do you think? Or you're not sure? You haven't got enough information on no, it. No, I haven't got enough information to give my input on this one. That's a that's a good one. What do you all think? Um, I am a big true crime buff, so I know what my opinion is on it. But what do you all think? Do you think do you all think that there's more kind of do you think there's just as many serial killers around now as there was in the seventies or eighties, or do you just think same as me? Do you think these people haven't escalated anymore because they get caught too early because we're getting way better at finding these people before they turn into these really massive cases that we do kind of look into? What do you all think? Give us your opinions on our Instagram posts. Um, and thank you all very much for tuning in this beautiful Saturday evening. Thank you very much for joining me, Atty. I appreciate it very much, babe. Thank you for having me. Okay, cheers, guys. Cheers. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.